Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Genesis chapter 45. We're getting so close. Last parts of Genesis, looking at Joseph. And I'm beginning to um, pray about and beginning to prepare for our next study, which, which uh, will be good. Genesis 45. I'm hoping to get to uh, verse 15 or 16, okay? Um, I might just read the chapter at the beginning, but how about that? Then Joseph could not restrain himself. Joseph, of course, is standing before his brothers. Joseph, who was sold into slavery, 22 years of being separated. He's heard the confessions of his brothers. He's heard the change of heart by his brothers. He has tested them to see what kind of men these are. And uh, he, now he's absolutely convinced when they offer, when especially Judah offers to, to put himself in the place of Benjamin. And Judah as a picture of Christ who takes Benjamin place, Benjamin's place and, and Christ who takes our place on the cross. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he called out, have everyone go out of uh, out from me. Like, everyone leave. Get out of here. Everyone leave. But just me and the guys here. So no one was with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Then he wept loudly. It was so loud, the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. So now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive for a great remnant of survivors. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has sent me as a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has set me as Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, and do not delay. And you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall, bear, you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, and for there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it's my mouth speaking to you, so that you must tell my father of all the glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. 
he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now the news of which was in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come and he was good in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beast and go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you were commanded, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Now, do not concern yourselves with your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Can you guys hear me? I feel like I can't. Okay, good. Perfect, all right. Just making sure. Where was I at? 21. Then the sons of Israel did so and Joseph... Uh, gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the, for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away and departed, and he said to them, Do not be stirred up on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is alive. And indeed, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But his heart was stunned, for he did not believe them. Yet they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and he saw the wagons that Joseph had carried to, to, uh, to him. Then the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. Wow. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Wow. We're not getting that far today, but that's cool. I wanted to get a little preview. <laughs> I mean, I can't leave you hanging with a, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is good stuff, isn't it? It's good. Uh, years, 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 years. Yeah. Joseph, you know. He finally, he's, he's there, his brothers. He's been holding out for some time, right? His brothers first came. They bow down to him because they're hungry and they heard this grain in Egypt and Joseph is the man in charge and he first sees him and he recognizes, that's my brothers, but I can't tell them yet. I've got I've to see. I haven't heard or seen from them in 20 some odd years. Are they just the same guys? Have they grown? Have they changed? You know, and you know how it is. You haven't seen somebody in a long time. I remember had uh, went back east to our child, uh, uh, child uh, where I was from, and and uh, we we met with a, a friend of ours. This is years ago, and we were friends since four four years old. And of course, now we're in high school or college, wherever it was. And we see each other for the first time in years. And the first thing we do is say nothing for the first like five minutes. We're just looking, my brother and I and our friend were just looking at her like, it's the same guy, right? That you look more like your dad now and, you know, and you're, you're, you're filled out, you know, you're older. And so just trying to, you know, last time we see, we're trying to recollect, you know, and Joseph now 20 some years and who's the youngster with them, you know, is that Benjamin? Now Joseph hasn't been able to, he's been holding back, right? He's got to test them out. So he's done that, you know, send him home, get back Benjamin. Now they got Benjamin. Oh, Benjamin, I'm going to send him up and, hey, he's a little thief. What, what are you going to do with him now? And finally, Judah's like, hey, you know, God's found out our sin. This whole thing of their journey has been hiding from God their sin. 
And finally, Judah said, hey, hey, take, hey, if we don't come home with Benjamin, our dad's going to die. And I guaranteed my dad I would vouch for him and, I, and, and just please take me. Make, make me your slave. Send the boy home because if he's not there, I mean, ever since his, his brother died, you know, uh, we haven't seen him in years. Uh, our, our dad's never been the same. This would break his heart, you know. And here's Judah for the first time. He's, he's interceding and he's, he's actually thinking of somebody else than himself, you know. And, and that's it, you know. That's where, that's where, the, that's where the change happened. Joseph now is convinced, wait a second. First of all, I don't want my dad do, to die. But now I see Judah? It was his idea to sell me. Now he wants to protect my brother Benjamin? I mean, that's the Lord, right? That's the Lord. Time doesn't change people. God does. God does. And God can change anyone. Amen? You look at Scripture, He takes the most unlikely of people and changes their lives and uses them. I mean, you just look at the pattern of Scripture. Moses killed somebody. (laughs) David, he killed somebody. He slept with somebody's wife, right? Jeremiah was afraid. I mean, you just go on and on. Even, I mean, just you just look, and then the disciples? I mean, how many guys want to meet Peter when you get to heaven, right? Right? I mean, Gideon. Who, me, Lord? Who am I? I'm the youngest. And God has a, and then he, he takes this Saul of Tarsus, your, the, your arch enemy, so to speak, you know, of the church, Saul, hey, hey I'm going to use him. And Saul becomes Paul, and the world's never the same. And that's, that's God. God does that. And don't give up hope. Jesus Christ can change anyone's life. Now I'm going to go through real fast just to, just to cover some ground here. Um, I want to, first of all, the, the first thing that we see Joseph doing is revealing who he is, right? The verse, verse three verses, look at this. He could not restrain himself. Or first four verses, Joseph reveals himself. And, and he says, everyone get out. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta see my brothers and talk to them in private. I don't want anyone else around. And it's only he and his brothers, finally. And there's this a private moment where he is revealing himself to his brothers, whom he has been with them. All this time they've come back and forth, but they didn't realize who he really is, right? But now he's sort of going to, he's going to take off the mask. He's going to say who he really is. He's, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother, whom you rejected, whom you sold. There's a picture of Christ here, isn't it? Jesus Christ who, who takes and unveils the blinded eyes and says, I'm Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And Jesus, when he reveals himself to people, it's often without any fanfare, isn't it, right? There's times when God calls you and reveals his son to you and no one else is around. There's no camera crew. There's no applause or nothing. It's just a quiet and the Lord says, I'm Jesus. And there's a picture here of Jesus revealing himself to his brothers and of course anticipates later, later on that they'll look at him whom they appears and they'll weep for him. Zechariah talks about that. Joseph, of course, finally reveals himself to his... And he says, I am Joseph. And I don't know about you, but they were not expecting to hear that, were they? Because it says that they could not answer him in verse 3. Come again? <laughs> I, I, yeah. 
Did I hear you right? Wait, are you speaking Hebrew? See, before then, he's speaking through an interpreter. Joseph is not using his voice. It's always through an interpreter. Now, finally, it's just Joseph. I am Joseph. And, of course, verse 3, jo- Joseph is most concerned about dad, about Jacob. Is my dad still? He says that like three or four times. My dad. How's my dad? How's my dad? How's my dad? That's not to say that it wasn't their dad, but it's the one person he wants to get back to. The one person he's, yeah, he's concerned with his brothers, but it's, it's my, is my father still? But it says they could not answer him for they were terrified at his presence. The last person they want to see is Joseph. Because Joseph has every reason to be really, really mad at him. And now he has the power to do something with. He can take them, make them disappear, and no one else will. Not even Geraldo can find them, you know? (laughs) He can make them disappear, and he he would have the power and right, because he's the highest in Egypt next to Pharaoh, and he's their brother, and they are terrified. Now they're truly at the hands of somebody who has every right and is justified to put him away. And Joseph, of course, tries to reassure him, hey, come near to me. Jesus Christ comes to you. He says, I am Jesus. Now come close. After the resurrection, the disciples are hiding out. They, the, doors, the doors are locked. And he comes into their presence and he says, peace. Shalom. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to love on you and to forgive you, Right? Uh, some, he says, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them, and then whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. No matter who you are, Jesus Christ is not one to reject anyone. You come to him in faith, hey, his arms are open. He's got the nail prints to, to show, hey, I'm gonna suffer, I suffer for you as much as, as, much as could, anyone could suffer because I love you. And that's what Jesus does, and that's what Joseph does. He says, come near to me. And finally, they came there and he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to into Egypt. Now, my question is, I got some questions I want to ask, okay? Because I don't know about you. I, I'm not Joseph. I'm not as holy as he is. <laughs> I want to know, how in the world did he forgive these guys? Because I don't know about you, there's, you know, people hurt you and you want to bring it up. You want to, you got, you got that, you got a storage shed full of swords. You want to bring it up, get you back. You know, how, how could you do that? You know, and I want to know, like, how is Joseph, how is he all, I mean, look at the story. I mean, Joseph is, he's pretty together, isn't he, right? I mean, it's the grace of God that he's together. How, how is it that he's able to forgive these guys and, and, and not cast them away? I, I think, firstly, Joseph has a perspective that God is with him. Uh, he has this perspective. Look at what he says in verse, in verse 5. So, now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here to preserve life. Here's one thing about, we see about Joseph. Joseph sees God's hand everywhere in his life. Okay, you want to be a forgiving person. So people who are bitter, all they see is the pain and agony and the chaos and the and the and the and the and the, and the, the pain and the what's the word I'm looking for the the scars, you know, 
they see the chaos. Joseph sees God's hand where people see problems. You and I, always, sometimes all we see is problems, right? You just turn on the news, it's all problems, right? Yeah. So all you see is problems. But Joseph has been somebody from the beginning has seen God's hand throughout his life. Look, look, look in, uh, in, uh, in um, well, I'll just read to you guys. In Genesis 39, he's with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar says, sleep with me. And Joseph says, how could I do such a thing, a wicked thing, and sin against who? God. God. I mean, this temptation comes your way. You put, you put God into conversation, suddenly it's like, oh, God's here. All right? How can I do this? Hey, it's you, me, sister, alone. No one knows, no cameras, no nothing. But God's here. Joseph has brought God into the perspective. I'm here, and God's here, and I fear God. Uh, when, later on, when he's sold, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, or he's, uh, he's in prison, and, and the cupbearer and the, the baker, they have these dreams, and they come, they're distraught, and he says in chapter 40, verse 8, he goes, don't interpretations belong to God? He's in prison. He, and most people, when they're, some people, like, they're in a difficult time, maybe because God's the last thing on their mind. The first thing on his mind seems to be God. Like, God, God, I can't sin against God. God is the interpreter of dreams, right? Later on, Pharaoh has a dream. He's brought to Pharaoh. He says, I, I, hey, you got this gift of dream interpretation. And Job's like, time out, uh-uh-uh. He goes, I can't do it, but God will give you the interpretation you were looking for, right? Then he says, hey, Pharaoh, uh, I got some good news, bad news. Good news is going to be years of fl- fa- uh, plenty, years of fl- uh, famine after that. He says, God has revealed to Pharaoh all that he's about to do. And then, you know, not only here, look at verse 8. <clears throat> You, it was not you who sent me, but God, right? Well, look at chapter 50. Go to chapter 50 later on after they come home. And chapter 50, uh, after Jacob or Jacob has died, the brothers come to him. They're, they're afraid. Hey, dad's, dad's dead, right? Is Joseph now going to come back at me? He says, as for you, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. My point is this. How does Joseph get over the pain of the rejection? He sees God's hand in that, right? He sees God and everything happens instead of all the problems. Yeah, you can focus on the problems and the pain, but you bring God and realize God's, God's here, right? You know, as Christians, we ought to be the one that brings God into the conversation, amen? I mean, it's easy. The default setting for us as humans is to look at things negatively and as if God were dead or powerless, but you look at the cross, there's proof that Jesus Christ is alive. And that tomb is empty. The power of God is for real. And every, so far, every promise has come true in his word. God is not laying around like, oh, I'm so powerless to do anything. No, 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 no. But you understand, if God is with you, even in the midst of the trouble. See, some people have a hard time. Hey, if God was with me, I wouldn't go through trouble. That's not true. Listen, we live in the fallen world. We live in a terribly fallen world. And God does promise to be with, with us even through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I know some people don't like when I quote Psalm 23 because that's only for funerals. No, it's actually for, for, for believers because it tells me that I have a shepherd who's with me, that even when I go through the dark valleys, he's going to bring me through that dark valley. He's not going to leave me. And there's no greater shepherd than Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen? My point is this. Do you bring God into a conversation? Is, you bring God into perspective. When you're being tempted, is God on your mind? Probably not, because sometimes Satan wants you to forget about it. Like, hey, but this would be sinful against God. This would hurt my, my family. If I did this, you know, this would ripple effect. This is against God. Everything, I've, everything we, we are doing, see God in it. Not in a pantheistic way, but you know what I'm saying. God is, so Joseph sees God's hand when others see problems. Maybe we ought to have that, that kind of attitude. What is the Lord doing this? Hey, it's problems, but that doesn't mean God is left. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord continually before me. It means always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. If, you got, if, you're, if your faith is shaken, maybe get God back into the perspective. Amen? And if this whole story of Joseph, Joseph has been, <laughs> I mean, he's gone through a whole lot, right? And that doesn't mean he didn't have, he obviously had a lot of sorrow and pain because he's weeping several times, right? I mean, here it says that he weeps so loud that the Egyptians heard it and Pharaoh's, this is the, the Hebrew indicates a very loud cry. I can't imagine what that was like. So it's not like he's emotional or not emotional. It's not like he's like Mr. Spock, you know. I'm Vulcan, I'm part stoic and part, you know, robot or something, you know. He's human, you right? There is emotion in there. But he understands that God's been with him. So how is he able to forgive? First of all, he sees God when other people see problems. Secondly, he sees God's providential care when others see chaos. Look at verse 4 again through 13. Uh, verse 5, rather. So now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. Now, that is a wise perspective. If he's lost in his pain and sorrow, he misses the big picture of what God's trying to do. I don't know about you, but I, I, sometimes I tend to stand on the other side and say, well, it was me, God. Where are you, right? How can God use me? How could he be in this because of all this mess? And Joseph says, like, stand back, hold on. Everything you're going through, he's using, right? His hand is still there. And, 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 and he is, uh, this, your, your life is not a mess that's out of control. For some reason, God, he, it's almost like he delights <laughs> <laughs> and taking lives that are full of messiness and hurt and pain and sorrow and making something good out of that. You know? Sometimes we think, well, God, I can't be used because I'm, I'm wounded. Hey, hey, you're my, hey, sign up. I'm, you're the one I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm looking for the wounded. I'm looking for the rejected. I'm looking for the despised. I'm looking for the one who's, who has regret, who has, you know, somebody has, has a, a, some, a, some sin or something they can't get over and they're so living in the past and God says, I, my blood covered that past. Amen? I'm not preaching to anyone, am I? Yes, you're supposed to say amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a setup, okay? <laughs> that was a setup. He recognizes that God is in control. No matter what you see on the news, sometimes we as Christians say, oh my goodness, the world is such a mess. 
is God anywhere, right? You look at, you say, where is God? And God is entirely in control. Even of the chaos. Everything filters through Him. Scripture talks about God's control, His Throughout Scripture, Nehemiah says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. I just love that. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Hey, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they or of a sparrow whose two sparrows are not uh, they're not are, are not two sparrows sold for a cent yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father i think about that sparrow i don't think about sparrows i got these birds in my backyard they're starting to eat the we just did the winter grass seeding thing you know wake up in the morning and they're everywhere Get away, get out of here. I want grass. I don't want you to take it. Okay, so the Father is providing for them through my, my overseeding. You know, that's okay. He's providing for them. He's in control, even of the little sparrows. First Samuel 2 says, The Lord makes rich, poor and rich. He brings low. He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He set the world on them. He recognizes that God is in control. And he recognizes that, Joseph recognizes that God often does his work through sinful people. He says, look at verse 8. Or verse 7. So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive for a remnant of the... Remember, God had promised to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? I'm going to give you land to live in. I'm going to make you a, a, a mighty nation and make you a blessing. And now that nation, who's only 12 brothers plus dad, right? They're, they're, if, if Joseph is not sent ahead, God sees the famine that would come. If he's not sent ahead that they would die. And God's working on, you know, 20 years ahead of time in this case, right? I'm going to send Joseph so he's really there. He needs to be, he needs to be thrown in prison for one thing. So I got had Potiphar, you know, his, his wife, Mrs. Potiphar, let's give her a name, you know, Ginger or something, you know, and, and, and make, make him advance. And so at the right time, he's in prison, but then somehow he has to be at the right time to be there where these dreams come in so they can interpret so that the guy who survives, the cupbearer, right? The baker's dead. But the cupbearer who happens to hear Pharaoh's dream, so he's got to be in, in prison when Pharaoh has his dream. All this timing, right? He has to be there. And then he has to be there to consult Pharaoh and say, hey, we need a plan ahead. Because if Pharaoh doesn't have his dream until like year seven of the, or the beginning of the famine, it's too late. So God said, I have to have Joseph there years so he can ma- ma- manage the, the, the house of Egypt and all the grain so that when it does come, when the brothers come, then he can rescue them. Does that make sense? 
I mean, sometimes we're just, you know, you and I are living life one day at a time. How many of you guys are planners? Type A. Come on. Only one of us? You plan out your calendars. You know, we got to do it. That's that's smart, right? God's calendar is years in advance. And so what you think is, oh, you know, God must have forgotten about this. No, he's already planning years in advance. Right? Joseph sees that. But God is not only doing that, he's also, he's working through these evil and sinful people. So look at verse 8. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. You, you thought you were, you were, you did a sinful thing. That, you sold me, that wasn't good. But somehow God is using that for his glory. Uh, their, their sin was still sin. But somehow God is able to work his plans through sinful people. And there's different views on how this happens. Can I just explain maybe two of them? You guys still with me? Okay, I'm not going to share all. I'm not going to get all. You know, we'll get that. But like two, one one idea, it's uh, that God is determining all things in the future. This is more of our Calvinistic friends, our Reformed friends that that hold to this. They they believe that God determines and causes everything that's going to happen, even sinful sinful things, right? Because God knows the future, therefore He has to control it all. I think that's that's where they land on that, right? And of course, you know. You know, and then there's some sort of tweak that and say, well, God, you know, he does plan everything and cause you know, primary things, but that he's not responsible for sinful actions. Okay, okay, I got that. I understand. And so the, the question is for to make sure that God is still ultimately in control. He's in control no matter what, amen? But if I go to a restaurant and I decide, or if I go to decide I'm going to go to a Mexican restaurant rather than an Italian restaurant, that's me making that choice, not God making it for me. Garden of Eden, God says, from any tree you may freely eat, except this one, you eat of this one tree, but from any tree you may freely eat. Right? Do you know that God was sovereign over whether they ate from all the other trees and we were not fallen? And he's also sovereign even when they ate from the wrong tree. He's sovereign even when we eat from the wrong tree, so to speak, in life. That doesn't say, oh my goodness, I didn't consider that. And he doesn't cause you and I to eat the wrong tree. That's our choice. He knows what's going to happen, and he knows every single possibility that's going to happen. In fact, he knows what would happen if this other, he would know all the, all the he, he can run through all the scenarios. Like Jesus says, hey, if, if Sodom and Gomorrah heard what, what you are hearing, he's talking to the sounds in Israel, they would have repented. That tells me he also knows possibilities of what could happen. And the possibility, I mean, it just this boggles my mind, right? I'm sorry, AI has nothing on God, amen? <laughs> so I don't really, I don't hold to that. I, I, I don't hold to that, but I hold more to that God is sort of, he guides everything. And he takes into consideration whether it's good choices or bad choices, and he's able to make it all happen for his, for his will to happen, right? It's like, a, it's like you go on a road and you're, you know, you, you're, your destination is, is you know, some address over in Glendale, but there's road closures and there's detours. God is able to make those detours go back to where you're supposed to be, right? right? So there are some things that God directly causes some things he, he says this is going to happen no matter what one of them is jesus christ dying for our sins amen 
Um, if you look at like Acts chapter 2, uh, Jesus was handed over to you by the God's deliberate plan, plan of foreknowledge. Basically, <laughs> that was going to happen no matter what. Now, it just so happened, he used sinful people that say, hey, crucify, crucify. Okay, worked at my plan. What, is it, what am I trying to say here? No matter what, God's plan is going to get done. Now, some of us have made wrong choices in life, and we've gone down bad roads, and if God's will is to bring you over here, he'll bring you through. And yeah, you'll have scars, but God will be with you through all those scars, right? And, there, and Joseph has experienced this, has experienced those, uh, those scars through his brothers, but God is using that to bring him glory. And God is permitting that. That's why Romans, our, our, the Romans 8.28, which we shared a couple weeks ago, but God causes all things to work together for good, right? To those who love him, to those who are called according... All, somehow God knows how to do that. He's, he's amazing at that. And Joseph understands that. He understands that God sometimes uses sin and evil for his purposes. He doesn't do the sin or the evil, but he uses it. The people who commit the sin are still guilty that are responsible, but he's using what they're doing to do his plan. Which means there's nothing that comes in your life that is a surprise to God or is something he can't get you out of. I used to play chess. I was in high school, and and uh, I sometimes watch videos. I'm really rusty on it. And of course, you're, you you're looking at the chessboard, and you have all these combinations of moves you can do. And and sometimes you got these grandmasters who are this like really bad position, and they're 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 rather you know. But because of their brilliance, they they somehow see something that somebody else doesn't see, and they get out of it, and they win. You know that kind of thing. God to the to the nth degree. There's nothing that you and I face where he says, oh, I can't do that, I can't handle that. Oh, that's too difficult for me. That's not, that's not my equation. Joseph understands that. Amen? Joseph is able to forgive his brothers because he sees God's hand. That's his perspective. He understands that God is able to control even things that seem chaotic. And this brings him to what he does in forgiving his brothers. Uh, let me just uh, read, um, continue reading verse 9, but I'm going to look at verse 14 and 15. Hurry and go tell my father. Say to him, verse 9, uh, verse 9, say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God sent me, Lord of all Egypt, come down to me and do not delay. And you shall give... You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and children's children, and all your flocks and herds. There I'll provide for you. There's still five years of famine to come, lest you, verse 11, and your household and all that you have become impoverished. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that is my mouth speaking to you. Look at verse 14. Let me skip down here. Look at this reconciliation in verse 14 and 15. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. You know, at the beginning of the story, the word says that his brothers couldn't speak anything good about him. That they, they, they couldn't... Um, Verse, uh, it says, they saw that their father loved Joseph more than his brothers, and they hated him and could not speak to him in peace. Now the story is different, isn't it? 
Do you know who? The, do you know obviously besides God, why this is able to happen? It's because Joseph has forgiven them. If Joseph doesn't forgive them, they're not speaking peace to one another. They're being hauled away. Joseph holds the key here. He's the one who is wounded, rejected, scarred, and everything else you can think about. And yet, because he chooses to forgive them, because you understand that God's in control, when you understand that God's in control, then it, then it gives you some understanding that, yeah, people do sinful things, but because God's in control, that I can rest in that. Amen? It wasn't like it was out of God's hands. It was, I'm, I'm, God's going to use this. I don't know what he's doing, but he's going to use this. Joseph is able to forgive his brothers because he knows that God was providentially in control of his life. And this gave him the ability to have the peace of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying what you did was okay. That's not forgiveness. It is not saying, oh, it's okay. I, I had a friend, a friend who's... Uh, whose mother was kind of abusive to him, and he was, um, he would always defend her. He's like, well, you know, she didn't know better. I'm like, no, dude, what your mom did to you was wrong. And it's okay to admit that what she did was wrong. It doesn't mean you don't love your mother, right? It means you're, you're owning up and saying, this was wrong. Forgiveness is not saying it was okay. It was not excusing it's not justifying. Well, you know, she grew up in a, in a bad situation and she just, I understand where she's come from. Hey, listen, being kind and gracious, but your mother was, she hurt you. It's not okay. All right? Forgiveness is not denying or repressing it or saying, you know, let bygones be God. It is, it is acknowledging that there was sin here. It was hurt here. But forgiveness, and here's the thing, forgiveness is really more about you than them. You say, I'm not forgiving that person until they come to me and repent. All right? Jesus said, hey, how many times have you If they come to you and say, I repent, forgive them. Great. But by example, Jesus Christ, while he's on the cross, says what? Did any of those people come and repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for nailing your hands on the cross. See, if you wait for that person to come to you and say, I, will you please forgive me? They may never. And so you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to... You say, but does, well, what they did is wrong. Of course it was wrong. Of course it hurts you. But forgiveness is not a dagger to stab into them. It's a self-inflicted wound when you don't forgive somebody. You say, God, I'm going to entrust them to your care. <laughs> and God is able to take somebody and say, oh. Jesus says, Forgot, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Real fast, real quick, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to ask a question. How do I know if I've ever really forgiven somebody? How do I know if it's, if it's true forgiveness? I've got five points, okay? Five application points. You guys ready? Then we'll, then we're, six points, six application points. How do I know if I've really forgiven somebody? I get this from Joseph as well. First of all, if you can keep what they did to you private. How many of you guys go on, online and people are just babbling their whole history? So-and-so did this to me and this, and you just, you just kind of just laid a bear for the whole world to see? Don't do that. 
You keep because it's nobody's business. Unless you're talking to a therapist or you're talking to a police officer that they have to you have to tell them, obviously, right? Those are situations. But it's between you and the Lord. If you can keep it private, you don't babbling it to others and say, look what so and so did to me and my hey, listen, I understand. Your husband was probably terrible. He probably hurt you. But what if God gets a hold of this heart and he, and he does change and now no one knows about that? Joseph is able to talk to his brothers privately, right? Have everyone leave. Reveals himself to his brothers. He obviously forgives them. And I don't get the sense that Joseph is going to go home and say, hey dad, look what my brothers did to me. I don't get that sense. That's that, I don't think that's his heart. His heart is like, let's go get dad, rescue him, and hey, I, I, I've forgiven you guys, right? The scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And First Peter 4, 8 quotes that. He goes, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Secondly, the uh, second way you, you can tell if you know, you know, forgiveness has really happened is when a person can feel safe around you and not fear that you're going to... Like, Joseph's brothers are afraid, right? And he says, hey, come near me. It's okay, guys. When you can, when you can be with that person, see that person, and they're not going to fear that you're going to retaliate now again, if they did something illegal, hey, let them face the law, right? That's why Jesus, after the resurrection, he comes to the disciples and he says, peace be to you. Thirdly, and this is something I see in verse 5, Joseph doesn't let them feel guilty. In fact, he doesn't let them, he wants them to forgive themselves. Look at verse 5. So now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Hey, what you did was wrong, but don't camp out there. Because even though what you did was wrong, God's using it to preserve life. Uh, the word for grieved here is, is, is uh, he's using it as a, uh, there's this anguish. Um, R.T. Kendall says that forgiveness is worthless to us emotionally if we cannot forgive ourselves. How many of you guys are, are, are on that, that script, you know, where you've done something and you know God's forgiven you and that person's forgiven you, but you just can't forgive yourselves? How many of you guys are there? Just me. Okay, cool. I'll, just me. I don't know because here's what happens. After Jacob dies, they're afraid that Joseph's going to come back to them. In chapter 50, after Jacob dies, and they say, they, they, go back, go to chapter 50, real fast, real fast. Chapter 50. Is everyone with me or is, have I lost you? Okay. Look at verse 15. This is after Jacob dies. The Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and returns back to us all the evil he dealt against him? 
Okay. That's what Joseph was trying to reassure him that we're not doing that. We're not going there. And they said to Joseph, hey, Joe, Joe, when dad was still around, he said, hey, Joe, make sure you forgive your brothers. And Joe says, look at verse 40, uh, look at 20, uh, verse 19, rather, chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? If God's not going to do, I'm not in God's place to return that. It's been forgiven. It's under the blood, so to speak. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. I'm not going to go back in there. And that's, the, that's my, is he's not going to allow them to do that. When you've forgiven somebody, you let them off the hook. You give them to God. Go back to Genesis uh, 45. Fourthly, you know you've forgiven somebody if you help them preserve their din- dignity and self-esteem. Look at, their, look at verse 7. It was God who sent me before you to establish for your remnant, to keep you alive. It was not you, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Okay, you were doing something, but this is something that God's using for his glory. God is using whatever has happened for his good, because he's good and able to do that. God is able to use the past to work out for good. How he does that, I don't know. But he's God. Fifthly, you've forgiven somebody when you can protect them from their darkest secret. Again, it goes back to, to bab, not babbling. You don't, he doesn't go back to Joseph, or Joseph doesn't go back to Jacob and say, and say, hey, Jacob, let me catch up with you on what your brother's... Eventually, Jacob probably finds out, but I don't think that's his heart. Just let it go. Well, I want them to pay. Well, I thought you forgave them. And if Christ has paid that on the cross, then let it go. He doesn't blackmail. And God doesn't do this. He covers up, chooses to forget, chooses never to bring up anymore. And sixthly, finally, Joseph has a lifelong commitment to forgive. And that make, that, make it our heart to be a lifelong forgiver. It may take some time to forgive somebody, but even in chapter 50, Joseph has still forgot, forgiven them. And I think Joseph is a picture of Christ. Joseph, who, of course, who forgives his brothers, who, who understands that he was sent ahead to preserve life. Jesus Christ takes that same perspective as he took our place on the cross to preserve our life. And we deserve the punishment, but yet he extends forgiving arms to us. And he speaks peace to us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have uh, time in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you, first of all, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you work all things together for good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Lord, thank you for the example from Joseph, Lord, who, who forgave his brothers, who reconciled with them. And you worked this in his heart, Lord, because he had the perspective that you were in control and that you were working things ahead of schedule to preserve life. God, I pray that you would uh, minister, Lord, uh, to us, Lord, as we begin to, first of all, think about and pray and reflect on the good work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, cross for our sins. Father, thank you, Lord, that you didn't wait for us to come to you, Lord, but you made this first step. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. 
You call all of us to, to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness of sins and cleansing for all unrighteousness, no matter how deep or bad or terrible, Lord. If we come to Christ in repentance and humility, Lord, your word says that you will know we cast us out. Your blood was sufficient to pay for all of our sins, no matter how dark they are, Lord. Your blood was shed for us. For we just give you praise in Jesus' name.